0: The Lady Daddy Experience, powered by Patreon, where democracy equals debauchery, just how I like it. Tune in to all the kinky fuck shit at patreon.com slash LadyDaddyExperience. Welcome to Lady Daddy Talks. I am your host, LD, Lady Daddy, and today we have Pete Cox from Push Durham. I have heard plenty about you in a kinky little group chat that I am a part of, so I was very excited to get you on this show.
1: (laughs) Now I'm curious about this group chat, but great.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, we'll certainly talk about that one later. (laughs) But I, there's actually quite a few reasons that not only your events, but you in particular stood out to me to have on mm-hmm. this show. Because actually one of my dear friends in the lifestyle, my, uh, I call him my dirty uncle
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: in the lifestyle, but he, he recently reached out to me about one of your posts. And mm-hmm. so I hope to get into that later about you know just current events that are going on. But in the meantime, right. I would love to learn about you and your introduction to this crazy, ridiculous lifestyle of BDSM.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first, thank you so much for inviting me, and um, and I'm pleased to participate in uh, uh, in this. So. I guess my my introduction to bdsm is um i don't know if it's unusual but it but it was long ago when i was 16 i just started i lived on long island i started escaping from um from my house quite a bit and um and went into new york city and just didn't you know didn't know what what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to have uh, kinds of sexual experiences. And, um, and I found these clubs on the sort of on, on, on the far west side in what is now Chelsea, basically. And, and these clubs were essentially gay leather clubs. And I found lots of lots of leather daddies who are very interested in a um, in a sixteen year old boy. and so you know so i got um, I got introduced to the scene and got very interested in the whole in in the whole scene. I got interested in flogging um, in or sorry, in being flogged, in being spanked, in that sort of thing. And, and, and by the way, this was also, this was the early to mid-1980s, uh, oh. so, um, so we know, so, so we know what else was going on at that time, and, um, and so I ended up uh, enjoying this stuff so much, enjoying, um, in, enjoying pain, essentially being a masochist, much more than I enjoyed being fucked, right? So I credit BDSM for saving my life. um, Because, you know, because AIDS was rampant in that community. And many of, um, many of my friends and many of my partners uh, died during, well, during or soon after that time. And so, you know, so the fact that I tended to have less penetrative sex and more, other kinds of sex really I think saved my life. Um, so that was, that was sort of my introduction to the whole scene and I went through many years you know in New York of being sort of heavily involved with that and then moved to Los Angeles to go to graduate school and became heavily involved with the BDSM scene and with AIDS activism at the same time in, in, in that scene. And also, once I got to Los Angeles, also started, uh, you know, in in New York, I was primarily or exclusively involved with men. Once I got to New York, I got much more involved with more of a pansexual scene with men and women and trans people. And that, um, and that became just of so much interest to me in various clubs in LA at this point, sort of the 1990s. And so basically, I think that's sort of the way I got involved and found this to be a really sort of such, um, such an interesting scene that allowed me to explore my sexuality well beyond genital sex.
0: That is quite the interesting story. And I always envy people that really had an introduction to the lifestyle in New York because I'm Mm -hmm. also from upstate New York. But by the time that I hit 18, I moved down here in the Carolinas. So I really have no experience (laughs) with the BDSM scene in New York. Yeah. And I hear so many stories. I was like, man, maybe I should have postponed moving just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit right. longer.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was a fascinating scene back in the day, and I think it, it, it has since um, changed a lot, obviously, and in some senses the New York scene. I mean, a lot of my New York friends say, "Oh, there's nothing going on up here." But when you, but then when you go up there and you you visit, you find out, oh, actually, there's still quite a bit going on, um, and it's quite fascinating too. So,
0: and honestly, I feel like anyone from their, I guess anyone speaking about their home base, they get used to everything that goes on. So of course, a visitor is going to be more fascinated that someone you know, they they feel like they've done it all, they've seen it all, and just nothing is exciting them, and I feel like it's become such a syndrome as, like, an adrenaline junkie, where mm-hmm. just you want to try all these new things, and it's just like, well, there's nothing new to try, I'm bored.
1: <laughs> I'm bored, I've tried everything, and I'm, you know, and also, uh, there's, there's drama, there's too much drama. And of course, there's drama, there's drama in every scene of any kind.
0: Exactly. It's the inevitable. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is also one interesting thing for, for me, you know, uh, um, I think since starting or even before starting Push, um, uh, um, both my partner and I were quite heavily involved in, Going to going to events in New York, in Florida, in London, um, in, in Los Angeles, in various places, and and so it's you you can pop in and be involved in the scene and have a lot of fun and meet people and and get all the excitement. And you, and, and you get to skip most of the drama because you're not, you're not living there. You're not part of that scene. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing being a BDSM tourist as well.
0: Yes, definitely. Because I feel like anywhere that I have visited, I don't know, I, I like when it feels intimate. I like knowing what mm-hmm. goes on behind the curtains. Even if I am you know, not involved, I want to know the drama. I wanna know how they handle that drama. I think that's one of the main reasons I started this podcast. I don't need all the tea, but you know, I just, I like having a slightly, I don't know, like a less biased perspective and to Mm -hmm. give to others that listen to this podcast.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I should say, when I when I say, you know, you can, you can be a BDSM tourist and escape the drama. I, I, you know, I certainly don't do that in New York. I know a lot of the drama and, you know, just kind of, but but I, but I'll set it aside, because I do want to see how they deal with it. I do want to see how they develop their parties and stuff like that. Then there are other events where I will go to and just say, I don't want to deal with anybody's drama at all. I just want to have fun. And so, you know, it goes both ways.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: And then I'm actually curious, what are your honorifics? Like, what are your identifiers in the BDSM lifestyle?
2: Oh,
1: my, you mean my honorifics? Um, I am, I'm generally considered, uh, just a, Uh, a top, a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a sadist of sorts, Um, uh, but, um, but just generally a kind of a, a, a top who goes around. And one of my main things is, I want to be a top who's going around and really getting people to experience new kinds of pleasures that they hadn't even considered before. And so that's kind of my main thing.
0: Yes. I definitely love a hedonist because that's what it sounded like to me. Oh yeah. Just exploring new pleasures. I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And getting, and getting people to just suddenly, you know, uh, Whatever somebody who's not interested or who hasn't been interested in spanking, they have no idea what it's what it's like or anything like that and and seeing you know and they want to try it so uh you know so I'll help them try it and see what it's like and then and then if they enjoy that, then they move on to doing all kinds of other things so it, it's really the thing that I get off on the most, is getting somebody to explore some sort of new pleasure that they've been interested in, but haven't had a chance to explore.
0: I can definitely agree with that one. It's, I I feel like, I wonder if there's a name for that kind of kink. (laughs) 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 Because I swear it is.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's, it's it's a total kind of kink, right? Because you can totally get off on it. And, um, and at the same time, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a name for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. We'll figure yeah. that one out.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I know so many people or so many uh, um, tops who are into that sort of thing. Some I would trust, some I wouldn't, but, you know, but they're they're really into kind of getting somebody into new kinds of pleasures and that, you know, and so, but yeah, that, that has to be my
2: main thing.
0: Exactly, and then speaking of, I guess, sort of guiding people into those experiences, I would love to hear all about your i guess your inspiration that starting point where you realized you wanted to start your own events
1: mm, yeah yeah i guess there were thinking about inspirations there were there were several one you know one was looking at some of the uh, some of the clubs that i went to particularly in los angeles places like club fuck and cinematic and um, and these places that attempted to draw in uh, a large sort of diverse crowd and get them to experience new things in a very kind of open and accepting environment uh, that was one set of inspirations and then the other set was just in my travels to uh, at that point it was mainly Florida and New York just seeing the kinds of events that, um, that they were able to put on. Again, fairly large scale events that, um, that brought in people who were very experienced in the BDSM scene and and, uh, people who were new and just having those people mixed together in different kinds of ways having people watch having people play having people do all kinds of different things so those were kind of my main uh, or our main inspirations and then and then the other piece of that is thinking about what was happening in North Carolina at the time and that's you know outside of one event in Charlotte there there were no there were no public events that people could just go to. There were a lot of different um, a lot of different events that people in the know could could go to but but to actually go to a public event that somebody would you know be able to sort of see on the internet and decide two days beforehand they wanted to go there 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 was nothing here uh the events that had taken place in Raleigh in, in years past were were closing down for various reasons and so we wanted to do something that was that was very public as well so um so i guess those are those are kind of the main inspirations um and i think that i think that answers your question right
0: most definitely i <laughs> I definitely see what you mean when it comes to public events. I know with some of my other interviews, we spoke about uh, public versus private and, you know, just regarding mm. if there really should even be a vetting process or at least how they felt about a vetting process compared to, you know, just pay to enter. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate with that. And even I have my own, calms with it depending on the type of event that it is so it's it's interesting that you that you mentioned that i think at least from as long as i've been in the charlotte area i think i only know of maybe two public events where you just pay to attend
2: right
1: right and that's right and 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 there are reasons for that i mean obviously if you have a more private event and you're, you're keying in on the, I think the, the most important reason is that if you have a, a more private event, you can vet people, right? And you can vet people in a more serious way. And we, you know, we like all events, um, have a list of people that we will not allow in, but we don't have any ability to, uh, to, to, to vet people in the sense of, you know, we're going to see we're, you know, we're going to give you a kind of, list of questions and, um, and ask for references before you come in. Uh, if you do, if you're doing a more private event where you're going to do things that are, um, either more intimate or more potentially, um, dangerous, then you obviously want to vet people more.
0: So how would you say that you benefit from Push durham being a public event compared to, other parties that prefer to vet and be yeah. more private.
1: Well, we, it, it, it's the, one, of the ba- one of the fundamental ideas of PUSH, right, is to allow people who have no experience with BDSM, uh, who are just interested. They, they, they want to find out what it's all about. It's, it, it allows them to come out to an event to see what it's all about to experience it on some sort of level without you know without having to have people who are who are going to vet them because there's nobody who could vet them right they they they're just brand new to the scene so the idea here is that we're bringing more people into the scene who who want to experience Kinky pleasures—they're interested in, they're interested in exploring sexuality beyond the bounds of genital sex. In the way that 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 I was when I was sixteen, um, and not saying that they're sixteen—we don't admit sixteen-year-olds—but um, uh, but uh, but they want to explore these various things, and this allows them a space to do so. And then from there, they can, they can then get vetted into other scenes, or they can decide that this is the only thing that they want to do and they're going to go back to their, their bedrooms and, you know, and maybe they'll do new things in their own bedrooms. So it, so it, it, it then serves, I think, a different purpose than a more private event that you see in all of these other events and um, and allows for again a much uh, obviously a much bigger party and that sort of thing as well
0: so now i am trying to envision what I would expect if I were to attend push Durham so if you could how would you paint that picture regardless if I'm completely new to the lifestyle or if I just have never attended your event but now I want to how would you paint that picture for someone
1: well I'd say I'd say to them well I'd start by saying Mm -hmm. you're going to come into an event where you are going to first see a lot of people who are dressed in fetish clothing of one sort or another, uh, whether it's latex or leather or any kind of fetish clothing, and who are playing, right? Um, They may be playing up on a St. Andrew's cross and you may see a bunch of flogging, or they may be, or, or you may have some people in cages and you, um and and you may have we we have a puppy playroom, so you're gonna you know so you're gonna see puppies who are playing
2: I uh, love puppy players yeah
1: <laughs> 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 and 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 for your listeners who don't know, we're talking about human puppies <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and and so you're going to see all of these things, and so if you're brand new to this scene and you're not sure what you're into. You're gonna you're gonna come in, you're gonna see those things, and you're going to see, okay, do I wanna participate in this? Don't I wanna participate in this? And you know, and and many people who come will just watch. They'll get a drink, they'll uh they they might dance a little, they'll just watch and uh they'll, they'll talk to people, they'll, they may meet new people and, um, and not play at all. Other people will come in, um, and, and, and do something for the first time. I remember one of the first pushes that we had, um, I had a, um, a friend, actually an acquaintance at the time. This is this is uh, nine years ago. I had an acquaintance who I had met in a couple of the bars, and I and I asked him to come out. Um, and he and he comes to push, and I expected him to just watch, kind of get get into watching. All of a sudden, I see him. We had at that point a St. Andrew's cross actually on the stage, and I see him on the stage. Hooked up to the Saint Andrew's cross, um, this very experienced dom is flogging him, and um, and he and uh, and and the guy who's being flogged seems to be having a great time. Uh, and I see him a couple of hours later, and he comes up to me and says, "Honey, I just had the best." orgasm of my life and he has been to every push since and you know, and it's just, uh, just has an incredible time. So so you have people like that who just suddenly realize this is exactly what I've been looking for and jump into it. And you have other people who are, who as I said, are watching, just experiencing. Um, You have, you'll have many people, uh, one of the most satisfying things for me is to um is to have people who will come up to me um at push and say you know the last push i met my partner um and i had the most amazing time and have been and we've been going together ever since and we've been exploring this new stuff um this new kinkier stuff so um So anyway, that doesn't entirely answer your question. I I think so what you're going to see if you come into push is you're going to have a variety of different experiences. You're going to come into a large event, right? We, you know, we started with events of about a hundred people. Now we have 700 people and we have to cap it because that's the most that the venue will hold. And we're going to, I know we're going to talk about COVID-19 in a minute. That's going to it changed the event quite radically, but, um, but so we have 700 people who are coming to the event. You come in, you see all of these people and you will, um, you'll have vendors selling BDSM gear, selling clothing, uh, and various kinds of things. You'll also have a bunch of Uh, a bunch of electricity stations where they have violet wands and, um, and other forms of electricity to stun people. It's usually probably the most popular thing are the violet wand stations. You'll, um, you'll see St. Andrew's crosses and spanking benches that are free for people to use. So it's, so it's open play. Um, And, and again, you'll have You'll have a puppy playroom. Sometimes we'll have a Littles playroom. We vary this up somewhat. And you'll have sort of more, um, what I call more intimate rooms. We don't allow you to have sex there, but but uh, but you'll have people who will come there and they'll cuddle with each other or they'll sit in a lounge and chat. Um, We have three DJs in three different areas of the venue. So you have a lot of people dancing as well. It's a lot of space to just meet new people, to experience a new kind of dungeon, to play, to watch, to do all kinds of different things. Um, And I'm sure there are many things that I'm forgetting and maybe you can (laughs) tell me if there's anything that you want me to expand
0: on. Honestly, I think you have just become Van Gogh because you have <laughs> painted quite the picture of what to expect when attending Push Durham. Mm-hmm. And I also got curious about the little room mm-hmm. because I, I feel like any party that I have attended, I've I've only attended a few parties where there was ever, you know, pet players, but you don't really see a lot of parties that have a dedicated space for. Littles or age players. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, so we, I guess we realized, oh, maybe it was two years ago, three years ago, so it took us a little while to realize it, But, um, but we realized that there was a community that we really weren't serving particularly well was the Littles community. And part of that is because uh, for most of the other people in the community, you can integrate the areas quite well. And for littles, there's a kind of different kind of play going on. So, for example, um, you know uh, we have little story time, and uh, or we have little story time at one of our events. And uh, so you'd have somebody who is reading a story to the littles, and you have this sort of play area where they can just um where they can go and they can and they can just play with toys or with puzzles and stuff like that and it's and it's an it's such and uh, it, it, it's such a fascinating way i think of exploring uh, their own um their own particular kinks and fetishes and um and it's, you know, and, and for us, it's just a matter of figuring out where to put the room because something like Little's room, you know, you, you don't want to be blasting them with EDM music, right? so um so that that's all is a little bit complicated. Try to figure out where to put the room, but it's an extremely popular space.
0: That is just some wholesome content right there. It's
1: right.
0: So fucking adorable. <laughs>
1: Yeah, now, no, that's really great.
0: Now I'm also curious. I mean, seven hundred fucking people. What kind of <laughs> venue do you have?
1: Well, we have a fourteen thousand square foot um, uh, multi-level warehouse. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so 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 it is a huge space, and um, and you know and uh, um, and and we have. Right, it, I, I mean, we, so, so, and, and this is a fairly new space to us. Each space that we've been to, we've just grown out of, right? And so and, and so now I think we have the largest venue in, um, in Durham. So if we grow anymore, we can't fit anything. so. Um, but this venue is um, is a really cool space because you've got you've got the, sort of the downstairs area is really, um, is really a dungeon. You can see how it's a dungeon, so it gives that kind of vibe, and then the upstairs area is kind of, you know, has several large rooms, and so we have one room that is primarily dedicated to dancing and performances, and then another area that's dedicated to play space, and yet another area that's dedicated to kind of lounge space, so, it's just, um, it's a big venue and it, but it is ideal for, uh, for a party of 700 people.
0: I love it. That's honestly a good problem to have. Right. Compared to some places, I mean, even in Charlotte, we're just struggling to even find a venue to really keep hold of. Yeah. So that's honestly a good problem to have—that you are outgrowing these venues that even give you the access.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you know, we've had a variety of venues that are excited to give us access, and um, and they and they, you know, they uh, they obviously in the, you know, um, or not obviously, but, um, but many of them are nervous about us before we come there and we have to kind of reassure them that, no, this is going to be a great crowd. You're going to love it. And then, and then every time, every venue we've been to after the first one, after the first party, they're, Oh, that was, that was really great. We, we, we have never had a party with so few problems. (laughs) And so it's, um, it's really a it's a good thing. it's, a, it's, um, it's in and, and it's nice to have I think in Durham, we have a lot of people who are very, very open minded, and so the venue owners um, are are very open to having these kinds of events. Um, they of course have their own sort of issues that they need to deal with at the same time. And, uh, and we need to reassure them that, uh, that what, you know, that they're not going to get raided or anything like that. And so, (laughs) you know, we do make sure of that. Um, And that, uh, um, and also, of course, from their perspective, that they, that they make money, because we're not you know some of some of these venues right they um, they're used to a big drinking crowd and and we don't want our people to get completely wasted <laughs> That's, you know we don't want that to happen so um, so on a per person basis we probably drink less than some of their other crowds so we have to assure them that we're you know that they're going to make enough money to keep themselves viable especially these days when right, when for the past few months they haven't been making any money at all.
0: <laughs> yes, and so one of the valuable things that you said is don't drink and kink. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I, s- right? I swear, I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: yeah, and I guess the other thing I should say about the event is that we have a very large staff, right, so we have, um, there are always, um, I think, at any given time, we probably have five dungeon monitors plus security. So, uh, so, and, and I said that in response to, you know, don't, you know, uh, don't get, don't, don't drink and kink, right, is that, you know, (laughs) they are watching, they are watching out for people who are too wasted to play, uh, but they are also, you know, they're, they're also watching out for the more serious things of, Sorry, I shouldn't say that that's not serious. That's, of course, serious. Um, but, um, but for other things like um, making sure that, uh, you know, that everybody is playing safe for in playing consensually.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I actually did have a question, I guess regarding advice you would give mm-hmm. for someone that is looking to host an event, but they just don't know where to start. They don't really know how to ask the right questions or give the right reassurance to venues.
2: Yeah.
0: So what advice would you give? It's, it's a tough one,
1: right? Because, because venue owners, venue owners are nervous about our crowd usually. Uh, they, um, they fundamentally, they, they want to um, they 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 want to be assured that they're not going to have violence, that they're not going to have rape, um, that they're not going to have those sorts of things happening. And so one thing that um, that I do with the venue owners who don't know BDSM, right, which is at least half of them, right, um, that we've worked with is to sit them down and tell them that this is this is what it's all about. These are the kinds of things that you're going to see happening. And we are going to be very, very carefully making sure that there's consent in all of these cases. And then to also reassure them that in most BDSM events, there aren't the kinds of issues in relation to violence, that you actually may see at other parties uh, that, that are more common at other parties, that we don't tend to. Um, at least I've never had an actual fight um, at any of our events. Certainly, there are fights at some at some events, but but I've never um, had one at our events. And um, and sort of reassure them of that. And then, of course, like I said, the final thing is to. Is to reassure them that they are going to um, that they are going to make money, and that may that may involve putting down in some cases a hefty deposit ahead of time, or giving them a bar minimum that is, um, you know, that that is uh, that you may even consider outrageous, but uh, but that you know that in the end you'll be able to uh, uh, you'll be able to do without hopefully without any financial loss on your part. So, um, so, yeah, it's just reassuring the venue that you've got a good crowd of people.
0: Those are definitely good points that you made. And unfortunately, we have to talk about the inevitable of COVID. <laughs> right. The dreadful, dreadful COVID. But of course, I would love to ask and just get to know your perspective of how it has affected you know, not only your events, but your community, at least from what you've seen?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, for the event, it has obviously, you know, we haven't been able to have it since, since COVID. I mean, and, and for good reasons. I mean, I don't want I don't want to have an unsafe event. Right. Um, and so, and so we actually, we originally had an event scheduled for towards the end of March that we had to postpone to June and we, and that was supposed to be coming up this weekend. Um, and we've now postponed it till November, um, because there's simply no way to safely have a 700 person event. Now, come November, I don't think there'll be a safe way to have a 700 person event then either. So chances are what we're going to do is, um, is we're going to limit the size of the event and, uh, you know, and, and do various kinds of things to make sure that, uh, that people are safe. Uh, We haven't decided on exactly what those things are going to be yet, because we don't know what the situation is, but we're going to we have to assure people that they're safe or I don't want to have the event. Um, for the community as a whole, though, I think that's the kind of more important question. Um, I have seen just in people that I know, and these are people who are already involved, already have connections and sort of stuff. I've seen a tremendous amount of depression uh, because you because you can't really. Uh, most of us are, most of us in the community are uh, involved with people or, or, or go out and try to experience new things with new people. And we, you know, um, and we do various things, whether it's flogging and spanking or sex or whatever. And we can't do that right now, or we can't do that safely right now. And so, You know, and so I've been talking to a bunch of different people who are, some of whom are single and, um, and haven't, you know, and haven't had any of the experiences, any of these experiences that they've come to rely on. They haven't had them since, uh, since February. Right. And so what do you do about that? And, and I've been talking to people about various things that you can try to do to mitigate risk. Um, and, but it's complicated, right? Because no matter what situation you're in, if you're, if you're bringing in somebody who you don't live with right now, it's risky, it's extraordinarily risky. And so you, you know, so you have to, um, that, that person extensively, um, the other per, the other thing that, um, uh, that I've been doing sort of privately is I've had a couple of kinky cocktail parties uh, mm-hmm. where um, we get on Zoom and we just, uh, and, and, and we just, uh, we are in our own separate spaces and we talk to each other and um, and in some cases we actually have online Uh, scenes and stuff Um, and so that has been a lot of fun and has been really useful I think in dealing with depression I know it's been useful for me in dealing with my own depression Um, at the same time I know I am a very physical person and I you know and I want to be in the same room with the uh, other people I'm playing with and so not being in the same room with them is extraordinarily difficult but but that's that's where we're at right now. So to use the virtual world to uh, to do what we can do, and for push. So, for example, one of the things that I'm going to try to do over this summer is have um, is you know is have a bunch of just live events where um where we put out whether you know i don't know on what uh, what platform yet but that we put out on a platform a you know a dj and some performers and uh, different sorts of things like that uh so that it gives people something of the experience at least virtually and um and the, you know and it has and it, we, we've been thinking about this for a while uh i'm really not you know I have a I have a very high learning curve for um for all of this sort of stuff but we have some people who are who are much more experienced with the uh, with all of the digital realm that are helping us think about these sorts of things. So yeah, so covid is um has definitely had an effect on the community a significant effect and I'm I guess, I, you know, in my more optimistic moments, I hope that by, you know, uh, by the spring that we'll be back to having our big events. And, but even if we're not, um, I want to make sure that we that we have something because I think we're meeting some uh, where we have been meeting some people's important needs that we're not meeting right now and so I think that we're going to we've got to figure out a way to change that
0: definitely and I certainly wish you all the best I I truly see that virtual events are the way to go I feel like we have been in this digital era for some time Mm -hmm. so I I certainly wish you the best I think it'll be a success
1: yeah yeah yeah, I think it will be. I think it's you know like I said <laughs> my learning curve is very high on the virtual events but um uh but but I think that you know I I I think that it will be a success and that we just have to work through there are a lot of issues to work through in figuring out the virtual events. There's you know there are all kinds of privacy problems in relation to it uh not to mention the fact that that um that even though as we've said a public event you, you can't do a lot of vetting of people um, i can you know we can do watch people very closely at our public events it's not as easy to do that in the virtual events and so we have more issues there that we have to that we have to think about in a very serious way
0: exactly and then another question that came to mind regarding COVID-19, it's, mm. it's funny how, um, how much of a debate it has become, even in the beginning of all of this, with just, I guess when it came to, you know, understanding and respecting the guidelines, I mean, mm-hmm. I've definitely seen a few events that are still going on but maybe they try to cap you know how many people or just maybe masks so i was just curious of your thoughts when it comes to people that are just you know trying to get by and they're still having events anyway
1: yeah well i guess and and i haven't i personally haven't seen much of that i've seen i've seen people who are trying to have their small private events and trying to, try to deal with the guidelines, you know, and keeping it with 10 people or something like that. And I think, you know, again, you have to, you have to assess risk. Um, I think it's irresponsible to have large events, um, you know, larger than whatever 10 or 20 people, um. Because it is just, you know, you're going to spread, you're going to spread disease massively, and so I don't, I don't think you can do that, right? Um, I understand people wanting to do that. Uh, certainly, I want to do that, <laughs> um, but uh, but but you just have to, in the end, be responsible. Understand that you know that. Um, that the people coming to your event, if they, you know, if they catch COVID there and then start spreading it to other people, it's just, it's just too much of a risk. We shouldn't be doing that. And we, and we have to, you know, so if you're talking about what, if you're talking about seeing events that are larger than the 10 or 20 people, I'd say that's, that's irresponsible. And folks have to stop that.
0: Exactly. It all just boils down to, I guess, the difference with SSE and freaking rack. <laughs> 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 yeah, I feel that right. we, we really practice that, but it's, mm. it's, it's how much we have to emphasize it even more in the middle of a freaking mm. pandemic
1: <laughs> right 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 and even you know and and um and i've you know and i've talked to i talked to my students actually about um, ssc and rank and um and but 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 risk aware consensual kink even you know even you know even if you go that route you have to ass- y- or Or you have to um have people who are risk aware. And the problem with Covid is that, you know it doesn't end at the end of your party, right? You know, you have you now spreading to people who, you know, who aren't have no awareness of the risk because they weren't at the party they don't know you know they don't even know um that their friends were and so you have to you have to understand that with covid it's not simply you know that um that you have uh that that you have 50 people who are getting together all of whom are aware of the risk you might have that but when those 50 people go out into their community or, or forget, even forget their community, they go out, they go back to their families, uh, you have parents and uncles and whatever who are not aware of the risk that they're in. And so it becomes very much non-consensual if, you are, um, if you're having these events that are really spreading this beyond, uh, beyond or, or spreading it beyond your group of people.
0: Exactly. And then, I guess on a lighter note, so I like to have a segment of Lady Daddy Talks where I ask about your shit show story that has t- possibly taken place at Push Durham.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just, you had expectations of, you know, the night going this way, but then something just went fucking wrong.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. I guess there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, I mean, there's always, you know, when I have expectations, I I, I try not to, and and um, any event organizer would probably tell you this, I try not to um, have strict expectations of, oh, it's going to go this way because then I'll always be wrong. <laughs> um, but the, you know, we haven't had any major shit shows, but we... Um, did have one time where um, where basically one of the performers lost her shit and you know and um, and slapped one of the other performers nonconsensually uh, and um, and I'm one clear. of the DJs and so we had to kick one of one of our performers we had to kick her out and um, and ban her uh, and so that was certainly a shit show and and um, the other the the other big one was um that we had a venue and um and and this was a new venue this this person didn't really understand i think what what we were doing and um and we you know and we said we have you know this size crowd and 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 he had. Part, so when, when we developed the contract, part of the venue was not open yet, but he said, oh, no problem, it's going to be open in plenty of time. And then we um, get there that night, um, and or, or actually, I think it was a couple of days before I went there and said, oh, wait, this other part of the venue is not ready yet. And he said, yeah, yeah, no, um, you're just going to have to be in this part of the venue, which could only fit maybe a hundred or it's like a hundred or hundred fifty people, and I said, oh, okay, this is really fucked up. Um, and um, and so I lost my shit with the venue owner, but there was nothing that anybody could do about it at that time. Um, and so I put out a notice on um, on you know on Facebook, on FetLife on all of the on, on all of the platforms that we were on at the time and said, look, this is a story uh, where, and, and luckily, this was before we were selling tickets ahead of time, I said, this is a story. Um, we're still gonna have this event, but be warned that we're only gonna be able to get um, 100 to 150 people at most in this venue. And so we're gonna be, um, you know, if, if you don't get there really early, you're probably not gonna get in. Um, And how many people
0: were you originally expecting if that other half of the venue was open?
1: We were, we were expecting around 300 people. So yeah, so we knew that half of our crowd wasn't going to be able to get in. So, and, but, but by doing this, we were able to, um, we were able to get the number of people down Every, you know, lots of people were disappointed, but saying, hey, I'm only gonna be able to get there at, at 11 o'clock, so should I come? And, you know, and I would message them back and say, probably not, I'm really sorry, but probably not. And, you know, and, uh, um, and then, you know, so we did end up turning people away at the door or, ha- or rather what, what we would have is we'd have a long line and um, and then I'd go. I, I and, um, and another staff member would go through the line, and we'd you know, and we'd try to entertain people online. that would say you you know it might be a long while before you get in because we're we're full inside. And then when people left, we'd let people in. And so uh, you know we, it was okay, but it was very disappointing, and we never used that venue
0: again. Oh, yeah, I, oh, especially, not only does it cut costs for you, but it cuts costs for them, and just the fact that they couldn't even handle their own, there was just no damage control whatsoever, they just kept, I mean, they waited till the last minute. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, they could have, I mean, they, certainly they knew a few weeks ahead of time, and they could have, they could have told me about it, um, uh You know, exactly. I I had even asked them I don't know about a month ahead of time, and they you know because because it looked to me like that time they're behind schedule, and I was like, and they assured me that it was going to happen, and then and then of course it never did.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But that's that's the main reason why I love asking people shit show stories, even if it's not the most dramatic story to hear, but just a matter of how you overcame those issues, how you, you know, had to learn a hard lesson. Right. Regardless if it was just completely out of your control or if it was completely preventable, it's good Mm. to hear how you were able to move forward. So still at the end of the day, even with that, I mean, completely preventable problem on their end, it's still good to know that you were able to give your attendees a heads up with, hey, we don't quite have the spaces we hoped, but instead of just having all these people (laughs) standing outside, we're just like, oh, I didn't know, good luck. Right,
1: Right. Right. (laughs) yeah, and they were definitely, right, you know, because, because you can't, I mean, because again, with these kind of events where you have people who are coming and expecting to get in, you can't necessarily get to all of the people who plan to come. So there were definitely some people who came who hadn't seen my message and I had to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I wish you had seen the message, but I had no way of obviously getting in touch with everybody um, and just, uh, you know, and they'd be upset, but, um, but, but again, you know, a way of, of saying to them, yeah, I wish I wish it were different, but it's not. And, and again, and I guess the important point from, from, from the perspective of your listeners is to say the people who got in still had a good time and we were able to recover from that in the next event at a bigger venue. Was, um, was, was great and people loved it and people, were, and people in the community were very forgiving of the fact that they couldn't get in. So.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I guess thinking on the other side,
2: mm-hmm. I
0: guess with any event that you've had, would you say that there is, or if there's been a, Form of criticism that stood out to you that you have received regarding your events? Um, Whether I mean, you told them to go fuck themselves, or yeah. if you felt like you know what, that's something you know I needed to hear?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think um, I mean the biggest criticism of our events has always been. Um, uh, or up until the, you know we've gotten into this biggest venue now. Um, I and even the first time in this big venue, um, is that attendees have said it's too crowded. Um, <laughs> and you know, and I've and I've taken that because I've gone to events too where I'm like, oh, I can't find a place to play, right? Because and and they they have all the equipment set up. It's just that it's too crowded to play. Uh, and, and so, um, and so that's the biggest criticism that I've taken to heart is like, you know, um, that I have to, that I have to limit the number of attendees. Um, so, you know, so like I said before, we have 700 attendees now. Um, what the, the first time we were at this venue, uh, we had, I believe it was closer to 800. And that was too crowded. So now we limit it. And at seven hundred is about the crowd that this venue can take um, pre (laughs) code. And so, and and so, um, you know, so just making sure that people have plenty of space to play is something that is, uh, you know, that's that's really important to me. And so that's the, you know, so that's the kind of criticism that I've really, uh, that I've really taken to heart. Um, there's another kind of criticism that, that, that I find that, you know, that, that I hear not, not as much anymore, but I used to hear from about push and that, that also really cuts to me. It's really important is that, is that there are too many, um, too many couples that were male top, female bottom, right? Uh-huh. And, um, and I, you know, and that, and, and that, and it's really, really important to me to be very welcoming to, um, uh, to, well, be welcoming to trans people is what I was thinking, but, 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 but more than that, that, um, be welcoming to people who have a variety of different kinds of gendered experiences into this site so welcoming of um, female tops and male bottoms or whatever trans tops it doesn't doesn't matter but um and um and so uh and so it's kind of like well oh you know as as when I first heard that because I'm like okay how do I Deal with that, right? Because
2: exactly. I don't want to
1: discourage male tops and female bottoms from coming. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but um, it, you know, but one thing that I figured out was that okay, you know, what if I, you know, what if I go and um and uh and go when we're promoting the event? Go with a whole bunch of female tops and trans tops into, you know, into various different communities and say, hey, we're here, we want, you know, we want you to come and making a really positive effort. And I think that has really changed, um, the, the event where you have many more, um, uh, female tops, many more trans tops, uh, many more same-sex couples, and that sort of thing uh, than than you did um, sort of than than you did seven or eight years ago. Uh, and so it's just a matter of being. I realized after a while, oh, that's just a matter of being really proactive.
0: Those were actually really good points that you made. Because I know that they are common issues with, I mean, damn near any event host, you're always going to notice the, I guess like the typical demographic that does show up, but the fact that you went out of your way to be welcoming and to let people know this isn't, you know, I don't intend this to be, you know, like any other party, and you are welcome in this space.
2: Yeah yeah so
0: where I also realize that is a problem is our uh, secondary pandemic which is just you know dealing with racism and prejudices and colorism and systematic fucking Mm -hmm. bullshit so of course we have to dive into that as well and that was one of the the things that was brought to my attention by my quote-unquote dirty uncle <laughs> he, um, he shared the statement that you made for push durham regarding black lives matters the movement right and that that stood out to me because i notice a lot of people within the bdsm lifestyle you either get those that you know they don't want quote-unquote politics in their kink Mm -hmm. Or they're completely understanding why we need to have this conversation. And so I wanted to dive into, you know, what made you want to write that statement? And Mm. I guess the advice that you even have for those that they just don't know what to say. They don't know where to start. Right.
1: Yeah, I guess, well, I mean we we wrote that statement because um because both my partner and I had been out at several protests and um and we had um we had several black friends and and protesters also calling upon their white allies to to really call out racism within their communities and to me that was that was part of it right that we want to call out racism but even more than that was um something that i've known all along for myself is that is that i is that my goal um not just for push but for everything in my life really is to develop a serious anti-racist community and so um so in thinking about that i started thinking about various things in relation to push and said you know um and, and and in relation to bdsm more generally you know i've seen a significant amount of racism in this community and over the years and and i want to you know, and 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 none of what I said is particularly new. Uh, you know, um, people who have looked at racism within the BDSM community have seen these things and written about them. Uh, but but I wanted to express that and think about the sort of racism that I've seen and the racism that Brooke, my partner, has seen as well. Um, and and to and to say, Hey, we want to call out this racism. We want push and our community more generally to be not only welcoming of black and Latinx and native and, uh, Native American and um, Asian and various communities not only wel- uh, not only welcoming of them but but um, but really fighting for um for people's rights to um and so you know and so I then we then also thought about okay we have also many of the people that we see at push many of the people that we met at push we're seeing out on the front lines right so so we see the seeds of that we see the seeds of an anti-racist community here and we just wanted to write this note that we want to do more of that. We want to develop a very serious anti-racist community at PUSH. And we thought when we wrote the letter that, oh, we're going to get some, we're going to get some negative responses to this. Uh, this, is going to be, this is going to be controversial and all of this sort of stuff. We didn't get a single negative response. Um, and a lot of positive responses. So that, you know, so that pleased me. I mean, I don't, I don't know yet if that means that just the more racist elements in our community are just keeping it to themselves for now. But, um, but it pleased me that we got a lot of positive feedback from that. And so I just think it's very important or very important to me that we develop an anti-racist community. I think people in the kink community should know, right, that we, you know, that we because of our kinks have felt various levels of oppression. And the levels of oppression that 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 white kink kinky people have felt is nothing compared to to the various levels of oppression that black people have felt, that indigenous people have felt, or for that matter, trans people, etc. Right. So um, so that we need to figure out how we're going to fight against racism and against
2: other forms of oppression.
0: And I guess with all of that said, I would love to hear your closing note on advice that you would give for Mm -hmm. white allies in the community, whether they are dungeon monitors, event hosts, attendees, Mm. what advice would you give them for being actively anti-racist.
2: Yeah. I
1: guess the, I mean, the, the, the sort of broadest form of advice that I would give them is, you know, is be anti-racist all the time. Be anti-racist in your daily life. Um, you know, call out people who, who are doing, you know, who are doing racist things. Educate yourself on what those things are, uh, and um, and then and then really try to figure out how to call that out in your life to make sure that um, that you are uh, you know that you're fighting against racism. For people at our events, I would simply say we're not going to tolerate racism. And um, and and what we want to do is to develop some sort of anti-racist uh, agenda, which means, you know, uh, that we. Well, I should say I don't know entirely what it means. I'm I'm willing to, let on that I um that 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 I don't necessarily know what what it will mean to have an anti-racist agenda push, except that when you know that when people see things that they think are racist that they should come to uh to staff people to dms to me and you know and we will and we will act on that for for dms they they really need to i mean their job always is to make sure that people are comfortable and they need to make sure that that uh that people are comfortable the, you know that people are comfortable in that they are not going to face racism at the event, um, and again, do I know exactly what that means, exactly what they have to do? No, um, I think that we're we're all learning and and so I, so I think the most important piece of advice is uh, for is certainly for white allies and event hosts is to is to keep a very open mind to learning when a Black person or an Indigenous person or that next person or whomever comes up to you and says, you know, I've experienced this thing, uh, and I think this is racist. If at first you don't think it is, sit back, listen, figure out what they're saying, and then go ahead and Um, and act on it. Assume that if they're telling you something is racist, that they mean it, and that it probably is.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. That definitely means a lot, Mm -hmm. and honestly, for anyone else that does need advice, I would recommend my most previous episode of Lady Daddy Talks, uh, Mm -hmm. POC representation within BDSM and polyamory with TRIP, that Mm -hmm is definitely quite the interview if anyone does need further advice. Mm-hmm. but Pete well, I can, tell you, I can tell you
1: that I need further advice, and I'm going to listen to that now that you've told me about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's actually quite a dear friend of mine, and I'm a, a co-moderator of his group here in Charlotte. So mm-hmm. it's cool. it's quite the experience and a wonderful friendship that I have with him. But yeah. thank you so much for this interview today. It has been amazing talking to you and learning all about Push Durham.
1: Yeah, good, good. And thank you so much for having me. And, um, and, we're, and we're gonna have to get you out to Durham one of these days.
0: Yes, it needs to happen, hopefully. Yeah. And then where can people find you and your events on social media?
1: Uh, well, on social media, there's a there's a Push Durham page on Facebook, um, in, on FetLife. The the um, there on FetLife there's an event page for Push. Um, you can also contact me. I'm Pete Cock on um, on FetLife and um, on Facebook. I go by my real name, which is Pete Siegel, S-I-G-A-L, and you're welcome to contact me. There. Uh, what else was I going to say? Um, there's also th- we have um, a Facebook group called the Durham Mob yeah. that is essentially you know the um, most of the founders of Push and uh, most of the, uh, uh, the staff of Push are on that Durham Mob page. Uh, plus we plus push Durham also is on Twitter, on Instagram, and we have um, and we have our own um, uh, and, and we have our own website which is pushfetish.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you, my fellow listeners, for listening while Lady Daddy talks.
2: Thank you.